Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They choose four things that they cherish, but they also choose one thing that they would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actor, writer, producer, and voice artist extraordinaire, Simon Greenall. You may not know it, but you probably hear Simon's voice several times a day mostly as the voice of all the meerkats in the Compare the Market ads. Simples. But that's just one of the adverts he does the voiceover for. Simon can change his voice like no one else. He's the voice of Captain Barnacles in the CBeebies programme The Octonauts. He's Sid James in the BBC radio series Missing Hancocks. He's Lord Lollorito in the Final Fantasy video game, as well as being a voice in Dragon Quest and Tomb Raider. He's several of the Mr Men. He's the twins in the Shaun the Sheep movies, multiple voices in Monkey Dust, and the voice of Dave Thompson in Peter Kay's Car Share. You'll have seen him in loads of things as well. Armstrong and Miller, Holby City, Kiss Me Kate, Harry Enfield and Chums, for which he was also a writer, winning the Writers Guild Award. People Like Us, the caretaker in the CBBC game show Trapped. He's in Doc Martin, W1A, Time Gentleman Please, One Foot in the Grave, Doctor Who, Benidorm, Saxondale, Pete vs. Life, and maybe most notably... He's the Geordie Michael in Alan Partridge, one of the great comedy creations of the past 20 years. So let's find out what's important, and in one case regrettable, from his life. Have fun. But Boris, Boris has created this world where 
where lying is just people are just going oh well of course they are of course they do it's amazing isn't it it's weird think, oh well so there's no consequences because I watched the um, Dominic Cummings testimony yeah. I actually I actually started to quite like him quite, and <laughs> believe him but I thought I thought oh my god this is it this is going to bring it all crashing down not a thing no consequences no, no. that in the past would have brought Government's crashing down. Yeah. And it's just this world where we now go, well, they do, don't they? Mm. That's what they're like. They're just like that. Yeah. He's got funny hair. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> but it's also, it's making me feel old because I'm go- I'm, I, I sound like my father going, but when my day, in my day, he would have done the decent thing and shot himself. <laughs> and it's that thing of you think, oh, no, I'm now, I'm now the old man who doesn't understand the world. I hate it. I mean, I spent my entire life having to deal with technology, yeah. which I never thought I'd have to do that. <laughs> I mean, at least once a week I have to film myself for an audition. Yeah, you're the only person I know who's got a job from self-harming, self-taping. <laughs> everybody else, everybody else hates it. I know. And never gets a bloody job from it. And do you know why I think I get them? I play all the parts. <laughs> <laughs> do you know when they say, just get someone to read in, you go, what, who, my non-professional wife. Yeah. So I do, I play all the parts. <laughs> I learn the lines and I learn the other lines and then I do my lines and then I sit in silence looking to where the person would be who was speaking. All right. Doing... Saying the other lines in my head. Yeah. And then I later on dub them on. Oh. I have Suzanne read in for me and it's like a speak your weight machine. It's shocking. But <laughs> she, 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 oh, she does this thing where I'll start and she, she'll go, ooh. <laughs> well, I said, "What? What?" She said, "No." And she said, "What? That you're going to do that, you, that voice?" I said, "Yes, that voice. Yes, that voice. Okay, okay. Why not that voice? No, nothing. No. no. Just you I just completely wasn't, lose yeah. confidence, don't you? Just, just and you gone. just think I can't act. I'm terrible. I'm pointless now. This is awful. <laughs> I was on holiday in France and I had to do a self tape, and it was for quite a big thing. And the description of it was a man sitting at a table after dinner and he gets offered a cigar and takes it and it says he smells the cigar. So I basically pretended to pick up a cigar and then I pretended to sniff it and it looked like I was... <laughs> Smelling my fingers! <laughs> <laughs> There's not a single self-tape that I do now where I say to people... I'm going to do a self-tape, so could people be a bit quiet in the house? And Mandy always says, don't sniff your fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. All right, um, so we're going to talk. Yeah, my first record is... (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 you've got the wrong one. They've missed the trick, you see. We have one thing that you want to get rid of. Yeah, in a way, they should have that on Desert Island Discs. They should have. One record that I absolutely... Never want to hear again. again. <laughs> yeah, let's start pushing for the idea that they have one <laughs> shit record. <laughs> Agadoo. <laughs> and what memories does that bring back? Don't ask, don't ask. <laughs> All right, then. We're going to talk about five things you want to put into a time capsule from your life, Sai. It's five in total, isn't it? It is five in total, yes. Okay. So what's your first item? My first item is a tiny pair of tartan trousers. I'm guessing with an elasticated waist. Mm. And I think they had those hoops on the bottoms. Do you remember the trousers that used to have hoops on the bottom <laughs> that went sort of over your shoe so your trousers never rode up? Yeah. Yeah, with a bit of elastic that went underneath. Yeah. Um, I had a pair of those when I was little. And... 
I never took them off. I loved them. And the, the, they were made of really thick wool and I wore them all through the summer. Uh, and apparently you couldn't get them off me. And I do, I do remember them. I remember them. And there aren't many photographs of me as a child, but I've always got these red tartan trousers on. And it's the, um, it's the Stuart hunting tartan, that red with the yellow and the green. And I think that was the beginning of my um, sartorial insanity <laughs> in that I've never been afraid to wear outrageous or unusual things. No. And I thought all men were like this, that you wake up in the morning and you think, what am I going to wear? And apparently <laughs> apparently, it's not true. Is it? <laughs> no. It's just you and I then? Yeah. It's the, all the men that I worked with on the building site, they didn't know what I was on about. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get, I used to, I, I still do. I think, what, am I, what shall I wear today? What am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? Oh, I know I'll wear. I'll wear that. And getting ready, and I'm worse than... My wife, my wife has gone. Oh, come on! I went. No, hang on. Now I've changed. I've changed. I'm not. I can't, that doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. This. This looks right. You do have some very natty clothes. I think they're they're very smart. And also, you wear very fine hats. I do like a hat. Mm. I like a hat. If you want to get ahead, get a hat. <laughs> yeah. There's not many people who think about what hat they're going to wear. You know, pairing a hat with clothes. Jonathan Ross is the same. I think Jonathan Ross was on um, Room 101. I think. Yeah. And they they made him this bowler hat with um, the top of a railing sticking out of it, the cast iron fleur-de-lis mm. from the top of a railing sticking out of it as the most ridiculous thing. And he went, oh, I'd wear that. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'd wear that. <laughs> <laughs> it looks slightly like a, a sort of a German First World War helmet. Pickelhaub, yes. <laughs> this, this spider. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd really, that'd be brilliant. I'd like to wear that. I've always been quite, um, not shy, but kind of, uh, 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 lacking in confidence, apart from putting something on my head. <laughs> it's never bothered me at all. I will flounce around in any hat. So is that, do you think, compensating then? Do you think that you're sort of dressing yourself up and making yourself more colourful? Yes, I think it is, because I have always wanted to not be me. I've always wanted to be different. Um, because uh, uh, I was born in the Scottish borders, mm. in the middle of nowhere. I was the last of five children. And there's a big gap between me and my brother, about six years. Right. And my parents were in business. They had businesses. They had a, a garage. They had a, an agricultural repair business. They had a taxi company. They had a shop. So they were just like phenomenally busy. Mm. And I came along and they both admit I was a mistake. <laughs> and my dad was kind of annoyed because my mum was the main driver in the taxi firm <laughs> and she was pregnant. But she drove until the day that she had me yeah. and was back at work the next day. And I was kind of left to look after myself and, and not bring myself up because my sisters kind of brought me up. But I was always like, oh, we've forgotten about Simon. Oh, somebody make something for Simon. Simon needs something for school. Somebody get it out for him. Yeah. And I always felt in the way. I thought, oh, I'm in the way here. I'm just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of annoyance. So I always kind of wanted to not be obtrusive. And for a long time, I grew up with this thing that I, I didn't deserve anything. I never expected anything. And in our house, if you didn't expect anything, you're onto a winner. Because I've always been funny about people who make a big fuss about their birthdays. Because in our family, if you asked for something about your birthday, you would be ridiculed for being a softy. Oh, he wants something for his birthday. Oh, do you want a card? Sarcasm. Mm. So, yeah, and I, I always, and I thought, oh, this isn't, this is, I was only tiny. I thought, well, this isn't right. I don't, I, I don't like being me. I don't like being here with these lot. 
Um, so I, yeah, I worked out for a long time. I still do, I think. I still, I just, I just didn't want to be me. So did that lead you into <clears throat> constantly being someone else? Because I mean, Ed, anybody listening to this who doesn't know you will first of all be surprised: a that you're not a Geordie, and b that you're not Russian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That is it. That's it. It's and I always, I was always jealous of other kids because I thought, oh, they, they know who they are. They're doing something, and they, and their parents are supporting them, and they want to do it. And and I don't because I used to watch Crackerjack, and I think, oh, look at them. Mm. They've all got uniforms, and they're, they're all out of wash. I bet their <laughs> parents have, their parents have taken them there, and that sort of stuff just never happened for me. And I was always, I always felt this feeling of outside looking in at other people because people will often hark back to things in the past and say oh do you remember when your parents did this or do you remember when you did that and I always think well yeah see we didn't we didn't do that in ours because my parents were always running a business or whatever yeah we never went on holiday or well my parents my parents went on holiday together or they went on holiday separately Mm. but they never went with us Um, once we went to Western Supermare and we drove there from from the Scottish borders. <laughs> I don't know how we did it, but we drove there. And, <laughs> In um, a taxi, I think. Well, it was. It was all a rush. And my dad was supposed to take the taxi sign off the top of the car, and he didn't. <laughs> and my mum took us, and we all went down to Western Supermare, and we were going, oh, take this taxi sign off. Take this. It's humiliating. And she didn't. And then this family stopped us on the seafront, and they said, uh, are you a taxi? <laughs> and my mum said... Do you know where you want to go? She said, yeah, I want to go to the campsite, but it's up on the hill there. It's miles away. She said, all right, kids on the beach, pack it and jump it. And she did taxis all around Western Supermare. And then the local cab company found out we're trying to find her. They're trying to track her down. I bet, yeah. Yeah, we spent the day on the beach freezing <laughs> until she came back. And they're always good that way. That If they if they had made a load of money, they would, they'd buy us fish and chips or whatever. To, mm. So we, we did always get a part of the spoils. So these trousers, I mean, that's the start then of you basically wearing these clothes that are quite bold. You do wear bold clothes, don't you? Yeah. So does that make you feel, did it make you feel like, well, when I put these on, I feel confident or I feel different. I feel like the person I want to be. Yes, and and because people, I, I, even as a, even I was tiny, I would, people would say, oh, I like your trousers, I like, yeah. your, I like your funny pants. And I would think, yeah, yeah, they are. They're funny. And look, look, I've got them on. Ah, and they're red. And yeah, I know I've wet them, but other than that, they're grey. <laughs> um, which then I came a cropper when I had to go to school because I absolutely hated school um, because you couldn't wear you couldn't wear outrageous clothes for one. <laughs> and what happened was because my parents kind of left me to it. I was never supervised or anything like that. I used to just kind of get up in the morning and put my tartan trousers on and run around because um, we had a big river near us. So when I used to go and play down the river and stuff like that. And people, apparently locals used to bring me back. They'd find me in places and bring me back and say, oh, I found your Simon mm. down by the sawmill. Um, <laughs> brought him back. <laughs> and then I remember my mother said, oh, you're going to school today. And she'd never said anything about it. Mind you, my, my brothers and sisters had been to school, but I hadn't cottoned on. No, that said, everybody had to said, do it. Yeah, she said, oh, you're going to school today. I went, oh, what? She said, yeah. She said, look, 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 look just, just go until lunchtime, and then if you don't like it, you don't have to go again. <laughs> so, <all right>. <laughs> so I came back, had my lunch, dinner, as it was, yeah. and uh, she said, come on then. And I went, whoa, no, 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 no. You said, I've been, I've been, I don't like it. And she went back on the deal. I never trusted her again. And me in school, that was it. I was there under false pretenses. <laughs> You've been tricked. 
Yeah, and I I just didn't like it. And I had friends, but I always found the other kids a bit, I don't know, a bit annoying. From your parents, undoubtedly, then you picked up that work ethic because you've always had a very strong work ethic, haven't you? I mean, when we were talking earlier, you were saying, you know, why do people complain about this? Think it's a job. They got a job. Go and enjoy it. Yeah. Be glad you're working. I know that the work you've done more recently has been more lucrative, but I don't think you ever had any different attitude to it when it was something that wasn't very well paid. It, it's not the money, it's the work. No, it's the work. It's mm. going to work. It's being useful, yeah. being being useful and having a job. Um, when I was at drama school, <laughs> there was a corner shop, Mr. Kavaja, an Indian corner shop, and he had an advert for a paperboy. And I thought, well, I could do that. Yeah. I don't mind getting up in the morning and it's before college, I'll do it. So I did a paper round. Huh. Um, but I had to be shown the round by this 12-year-old kid. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he, sh- he showed me the round. And it was uh, it was the morning papers and the Manchester Evening News as well. And he, he was showing me round and stuff and I was making notes. And he said, he said, that's flat 14, Elsie lives in there. And sometimes on a Friday, she gives you the biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm 23. <laughs> what kind of biscuit? <laughs> yep. But yeah, I died for a year. I did a, a paper round. I did a paper round. I used to work in pubs and go to college, of course. Mm. I'd do anything. That's been your attitude right through, isn't it? Yeah, it says on my gravestone, he'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Not well. <laughs> Not well, but hey, he'll do a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. Well, let's take those tartan trousers and uh, we'll put those into the time capsule for you. Thank you. And that'll be your first item. Brilliant. They're safely in there. I've got one in. we got one. What's your second one? Uh, now then, <clears throat> my second one is two cars. It's a 1969 blue Fiat 124 Coupe with a brown vinyl interior. And it's being towed by a Golf GTI 16-valve F-Reg. Nice. Moss green with the big bumper. Lovely. Why the two then? Because I can't, I can't decide which one I loved more. Uh, one was really fast and very Germanic and just a fabulous car. Mm. And the other one was just so stylish. It was so stylish and Italian. And it was it was rusting away to nothing. It, it yeah. was a death trap underneath. But the water gauge said aqua, which I, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. They're quite long and uh, sort of lean back car, aren't they? That's what yeah, I... they're a little bit lean back, a little bit. Um, mm. it, I think I think it's a Pinaferina is the uh, designer. Uh. Um, it wasn't particularly fast. It's Fiat, so it's reliable. Fiat means uh, faithful. And there was when it got hot, there was a smell from this vinyl that still I can smell now. I can still mm. smell that smell of that vinyl, and it was just. Nobody else, uh, this is the other, again, we're getting back to it. It's like therapy. We're getting back to it because nobody else had one. (laughs) Nobody else was stupid enough to buy one. (laughs) Buy a rust bucket like that. (laughs) Buy a rust bucket like this thing. Uh, But, uh, yeah, nobody else had one. And the exhaust, Italian cars in those days had like an exhaust sound that nobody else had. It was quite kind of piccolo trumpet sound. It was like a... There was a real definite sound to it, and I loved that. And did you say brown? The interior was brown. Interior was Um, brown, which would match... We're going back to your clothes again now, but you, <laughs> I, I think of you in, in fawn colours, autumn-like. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, autumnal. I've got a lot of things that would have gone with the interior of that car. <laughs> it's like pets, pets that you've had. I long for cars that I've had. I think, oh, if only I'd kept that car. Mm. If only I hadn't wrecked it. If only I hadn't sold it. If only I hadn't driven it into that other car. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the Golf GTI. So was that when they first came out, the Golf GTI? <clears throat> no, this is the Mark, it's the Mark II. When they first came out, I couldn't afford them. But there was a friend of mine. He was he was quite, uh, well, he was rich. And <laughs> he said, oh, Carl, oh, come and look at my new car. Come and look at this. Come and look at this. And I said, oh, it's a, a VW Golf. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look. I said, oh, it's a left-hand drive. Huh? I said, yeah, it's German. I said, I don't know the Germans. No, 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 no. I've, it's come in. I've, I've imported it from Germany. He said, it's a Golf G-T-I. I said, what? Git? What? He said, come on, get in. So we got in. He said, come on. This is in Carlisle as well. He said, come on, let's go and find an MGB. So we drove around Carlisle trying to find an MGB. And we eventually found one. And we followed him, followed him, got to the traffic lights and went, bap, bap, bap on the horn. And the MGB driver, I think, was wearing a deer stalker hat and a pipe. <laughs> he looked across, and and we shot off at the lights, and we could just see the look of amazement diminishing in the mirror yeah. as this man was like, "What was that?" And I was just, "What is this?" Oh, I'm going to get one of these. I've got to have one of these. <laughs> it wasn't until the '80s that I could afford one. I had three in a row, and I loved them. Yes, my dad owned one. First time I've ever done 100 miles an hour. He lent me yeah. a car. I came back on New Year's Eve from having done a show in uh, Battersea, the Battersea Arts. Well worth it. God, I'm still spending that money now, as you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, I drove back and I thought, I'm trying to get back for midnight. Oh, right. Nothing on the roads. And uh, yes, they can't get me for it now, can they? But I I, I, I went and it went over 100 miles an yeah. hour. Mm. They probably can get me for it now. I've just admitted <laughs> it. <laughs> but I was, because I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, Shall I get one as a kind of trip down memory lane? But I think now, if you sat in one, you'd be amazed at how deafening it is, how hard the seat is, how heavy the steering is, how come it hasn't got electric windows, electric anything. Yeah. I, th- I think we'd probably find it a bit kind of noisy and basic. And you might even find it slow. Yeah. And you'd, you'd, you'd probably go, okay, I've gone around the block, that's enough. Yeah. Can I not buy it now? Yes. <laughs> Can I sell it? Can I sell it back to you? I've had enough. <laughs> well, I think also when we take these two cars, they will have to go as one item because I think the Golf will probably still be going, but I think the Fiat will need to be towed in. <laughs> <laughs> buy the Golf, that works. <laughs> we'll take that. You can have that and a tow cable. That's one item. So, what's the third thing? Right, we have to interrupt this podcast here for an advertising break, but we will be back with you shortly. And anyway, I should imagine Simon's doing most of the voiceovers. See you in a moment. Welcome back. Right, let's return to my time capsule and find out what else Simon Greenall would like to put in his time capsule. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's, uh, it's my gloves. It's my boxing gloves, ah. uh, which I've had for years. And I've had, I've had so much pleasure out of my boxing gloves. You should be able to hit hard enough that after about five years, you need a new pair of gloves. But mine have lasted for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really hit hard enough. And they're like old friends. I'd, boxing, not sparring, not fighting, but going and training and working out and boxing, I find it's the most cathartic, beneficial thing that I do. Because I, I, there came a point where I was putting on too much weight and I thought, I've got to do something. I'm not a great team player. Um, and I thought, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to play golf. I don't know what to do. And somebody said, oh, you should come down the boxing. Because in, in London, they call it the boxing. The boxing. Um, the boxing. Come down the boxing. And I went and I just immediately thought, well, why haven't I been here all my life? I just love it here. Wow, so you'd not done it as a child then or as a, as a teenager? We had done a, a sort of rudimentary bit of it at school mm. but i'd never gone to i'd never been to a proper smelly rough boxing gym <laughs> which on the surface is the most scary place in the world but nobody will shake your hand as gently as a boxer is the old saying because there's no competition there's no there's no aggression it's a friendly place it's a funny place it's a, it's friendly funny daft and there's a good kind of work ethic and and fitness and stuff like that and the, and, and the gym i used to go to was just full of characters, just fabulous characters. My trainer was uh, Roy the Boy Callahan, and <laughs> I went down. I went to train one night, and they had the blue uh, police incident tape over the door, <laughs> and and I sort of stuck my head in, and there was a policeman. I said, "Oh, it's, um, I was going to come in and train." He says, "There's no training tonight." I said, "Oh, uh, why?" He said, "To clear off, mate. There's no training tonight. All right." So. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Slightly offended. Excuse me, I think I pay your wages, young yeah. man. <laughs> Are you a member? Uh, so, <laughs> so I said to Roy the next time I saw him, I said, Roy, there's no training on Thursday. He said, Oh yeah, sir. Listen here. Oh yeah, Thursday. God blame it. Uh, um, somebody, uh, somebody got, um, somebody got assaulted in the showers. I said, oh, What? Not, not sexually. He said, No, with a claw hammer. <laughs> You went, thank God for that. Yeah, well, that's all right. That's all fine. That's all. And he said, she says, yeah, what it done was, I don't know what, I don't know what the gripe was about, but they had this bit of, bit of Barney between the two of them. And he's, he's the other fella. He's waited until he's got soap in his eyes. And then he's gone in with the claw in him and done him. Like, oh, great. For all, they were, they were all very friendly and funny. They were very easily affronted. Very like, you what? <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. What do you mean by that? Hang on, that's a liberty. I just said nice bag. <laughs> <laughs> Whose bag? Well, my bag. Get well, my out of bag. <laughs> my wife bought that for me. What are you saying about it? <laughs> I grew up in South East London, Bermondsey, so um, my father was very good friends with lots of people at the gyms that used to be above the pubs on the Old Kent Road. Oh, right. Because uh, Henry Cooper used to uh, train out of one of those. Yes, he did, yeah. yeah. Henry Cooper was a twin. Him and his twin brother were conscripted uh, during national service. And I don't know who it was, but some some officer saw them being conscripted and he knew that they were good amateur boxers. 
And he went, right, they're in the Royal Army Service Corps. And that's <laughs> it. They were straight into the Royal Army Service Corps and spent the whole of their um, national service training. Yeah. And were regimental champions. But Henry was just a bit better than his brother. Uh, yes, I've seen photographs of his brother. They looked yeah. very similar, didn't they? Exactly yeah. the same, yeah. in fact. Yeah. So you still train now, do you? I will still go and, you know, it's a good kind of wind down. It's a good... Well, it's it's good for you physically and health. It's very healthy, but it's also it's it's a good kind of. There's nothing else on your mind. No, it's just that you're in the in the zone, as they say. Well, I think all men have imagined at some point that they might be able to do that thing, whether you just move your head around yeah. someone's trying to punch you and they can't do it. You've imagined that you're that person. Yeah, and none of us are. So, do you develop those skills? It's not just punching and uh, hitting. It's a- about not being hit, right? As Roy said, "Sir, sir, you're getting hit. You're getting hit, mate." It's about not getting it. <laughs> all right, all right. Of course. The rule is defend yourself at all times. Mm-hmm. Actually, we get, a, we get a lot of sayings from boxing. Um, uh, up to scratch comes from boxing. They put a scratch in the ground, yeah. and at the beginning of a round, you had to come up to scratch. You had to come up to the scratch and be ready. Uh. Of course, it's, it's called a ring, even though it's a square. Why? Because it used to be a ship's rope. They'd just get a big ship's rope, and everybody had to hold it and form a ring. Yeah. And the other reason for that was that if they're holding the rope, they can't join in the fight. <laughs> so they'd, they'd hold the ring. When I was at school, we had a bully, and he started picking on this lad one day, and he was caught by the sports teacher who said, meet at the gym at lunchtime. <laughs> so we piled into the gym, and he then did get a bunch of boys to basically stand and form the ring. Yeah, The yeah. place was rammed. <laughs> in walked this bully... And in came this little lad who none of us really knew terribly well. He always kept his head down, as it were, which is a clue, because it turned (laughs) out he was the Kent under-14 champion. Whoa! Uh, And the sports teacher knew that, but none of us did. So ding, ding, off you go. Ding, ding. And this bloke started swinging his arms, and the other fellow just moved his head out of the way. Yeah. And eventually he just went with one straightforward jab to the bloke's nose and it started bleeding and the fellow started crying and was never a bully again. Well, good. But, of course, turned out to be a mass murderer. (laughs) (laughs) And is now MP for... uh, So also you're taught, don't use it, never use it. Mm -hmm. You don't. Because they would say to you, look, sir, don't think you're the big I am because somebody's going to have a bottle, someone's going to have a chair. Someone's mm. going to be behind you, and you're not going to know, and then you're going to look a right... Yeah. Well, it is true, isn't it, that those great boxers, look at uh, Lennox Lewis and Anthony Joshua, these great hulking men, incredibly powerful, and you know that one punch from them would kill someone. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. They're just these quiet, gentle, pleasant, sweet people. Also, you've got it, you've got it all out of your system. You've got it all out of your system. Mm. Any kind of aggression or... Eh, it's gone. It's just gone. You feel you feel great when it stops. <laughs> it also it gives you a kind of a quiet confidence as well, because if somebody is playing up or going on, you just think, oh, I might just, I might just get up and knock you out. <laughs> you never would. You never would. But there is always that fallback position. Well, you obviously not because you've still got the same gloves from 25 years ago. Which are more or less brand spanking new (laughs) as I dab away at the bag. (laughs) Don't polish it, mate. Punch it. (laughs) Okay, we're going to put those gloves into the time capsule as well then. Oh, good. Thank you. Good. They got in. (laughs) They got in. (laughs) Do you know, 
I don't really often refuse people. <laughs> refuse stuff. Well, perhaps you don't allow weapons, I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? What's your fourth <laughs> item? <laughs> uh, my fourth item is a photograph of my grandfather on my father's side. <laughs> so not life-threatening, then. <laughs> is he in the army? He's outside his shop. Right. He's outside his shop in Blackpool, and... I never really knew him that well because I was very, very little when he died. But as my son has grown up and as my sister's boys have grown up, I see him in them. Mm. And he was, he was a very, he was a conscientious objector in the First World War. He spent time in prison. Well, my dad did as well because my dad was a conscientious objector in the war as well. Um, but my grandfather spent time in prison. And my grandfather ended up working on the land. And he met my grandmother when he was working on a farm in Ilford. (laughs) (laughs) What? A farm in Ilford? Yeah, but Ilford was a little village. Yes, I suppose so, yeah. Surrounded by small farms. Uh, And he was working on a farm in Ilford, Mm. and he went to stay with them in Stoke Newington. Mm. And in this photograph, he's outside his shop, and it's got everything there, and he's quite kind of proud of it. But you can see there's something in his face that his his heart wasn't in it. I found out from my dad that his heart wasn't in it at all. Mm-hmm. He objects in the First World War, and then he works on the land yeah. and finds out that he absolutely loves it. He loves being a farmer. And he said, he said, the problem with farming is that no new people come into it. It's always handed down, handed down. So therefore, there's not a lot of new ideas or new thinking. And he comes into it as somebody from Lancashire, from a, from a mill town, mm. um, cotton town, and he comes into farming and has all these ideas about how farming could be different, could could be revolutionised, could do this. And he, he takes to it like a duck to water. He marries my grandmother. My grandmother then becomes pregnant with my Uncle Sid and he has to leave the farm. He has to go back to Lancashire and he has to run one of his father's shops because his father is kind of more like me. It's the other side of the family. His Mm. father had lots of shops and cinemas and was a member of uh, the Manchester Stock Exchange. Right. And he ends up with these two soppy boys, my grandfather and my great uncle, and he he sets them up in shops. And within a couple of years, they've just given it all away. But not with a farm, though. Not thinking, okay, well, this is his passion. This is what he wants to do. I'll buy some land. He's got to come back to Lancashire and he's got to run the shop. And he has this shop and he's not very good at it. And then the weird thing was that he was very good at making jams and lemon curd. Apparently his lemon curd was to die from. And, <laughs> and, 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 my, and my grandmother, being a Londoner, she says, well, why don't you have a market stall? Just sell sell your stuff on a market stall. Being as the shop hasn't worked out, uh, have a market stall and sell sell your stuff. And she didn't realise that they couldn't have a market stall because it's such a, a step down from having had a shop. If you had a shop, you couldn't then go and work on a market stall. It was You'd be outcast. So this isn't the shop that your mum and dad had then? It had gone by then? What happens is that, it, that in my family, it's clogs to clogs in one generation, not two. <laughs> there are two types. There's, there's the one who gives everything away and is soppy, and there's the other one who's a workaholic and just starts business after business after business. And my grandfather was that, and I, and I kind of, I kind of love him for it because he was so. Apparently, he was he was just hopeless. You know, any sob story, and he would go, "Yeah, fine, yeah, pay me next week. It's not a problem." Uh, Whereas I'd have their house off them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> With my parents, it was my mother who was the hard case. 
My mother was the real businesswoman. She was, well, she was a weird combination. She was, she was, she was actually very lazy, but had lots of very good business ideas. They were a perfect couple in that my, my father was a really hard worker, mm. but my mother had lots of ideas about what he should work at. So um, she sort of set him to work at these different businesses. God, I wonder what your grandfather would have done if he'd stayed in farming. Was it sort of <coughs> mechanisation and things like that? And different crops and, and different things you could do with the farm and, and why wasn't dairy more connected to the city? Why, you know, why, why is milk going off? Why isn't stuff being made on the farm? The whole idea of what they do now. Really. Yeah, yeah. You've got a, a dairy farm, you also tend to make ice cream, make cheese. And apparently he wrote it all down and, and you know, his, his sort of five-year plan is early communist. <laughs> he might have become some kind of agricultural monster. <laughs> True. One national farm. And all the hedges go. <laughs> my grandfather was a, was a shopkeeper. Oh, right. It was a hardware store. Right. But I have a photograph of my mother standing outside and it does look, I mean, it looks Victorian. It's a, it's a very strange yeah. thing to see. They were open all hours as well. It was that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That's how you made a living. Yeah. And that was handed on, I think, to my Auntie Queenie, on a great name. <laughs> and she ran the store for many years. Was she in black and white in real life? She was absolutely in black and white, yeah. She was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, there are those people from the past who you think, actually, you're in black and white, aren't you? The shop is in my mind because it was in Surrey Docks. Oh, wow. Dickensian then. Oh, it was dark and dismal. Yeah. We used to go to visit, and I dreaded it. But we would go because we knew we would be allowed to pick something from the shop. Oh, brilliant. Like a bow and arrow or something. Yeah. And the amount of stock that they used to hold as well. And they knew it all. They, they knew like a catalogue in their minds of all the things that they had. Mm. What was your grandfather's name, do you know? Uh, James. James Herbert. James Herbert Greenall. They were engineers, uh, Lancashire engineers, but they lived in Russia for quite a long time. They took the cotton industry to Russia at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. Wow. Because when my, grand, uh, when my grandmother died, we had these, the Russian spoons. And the Russian spoons were a bit of a legend in our family. It was a <laughs> set of six spoons, one up, one down, one up, one down, one up, down, in a blue velvet case. Mm. And they were enameled. And when my grandmother died, it was like, what do we do with the Russian spoons? You can't divide the Russian spoons, but someone's got to have them. And these bloody legendary spoons that were smuggled out of Russia up my grandfather's coat, who knows? So my sister, my sister said, look, all right, if everybody trusts me, I will take the Russian spoons to Sotheby's. We will get them valued. We'll see what the value is. We'll decide whether somebody wants to buy them at that valuation price, or do we put them into auction and then we divide the money or we give some of the money to charity and blah, 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 blah. So to, mm -hmm. She takes them to Sotheby's and the guy says, imagine that Russia had somewhere like Blackpool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> these would be a souvenir from there. <laughs> oh, my Lord, no. They were painted. They were just painted spoons. Um, they weren't, not Tsar Nicholas III. Not Tsar Nicholas's <laughs> coffee spoons at all. I got these from the Winter Palace. <laughs> no, no, you got them from Winter Garden. <laughs> <laughs> but you can imagine, for somebody who came from their world... Yeah, you've arrived. That's yeah. a thing. You've, you've got something that's decorative rather than utilitarian. That goes in the front room, that does. Keep that for best. It's a different world, isn't it, looking at those photographs, looking at people yeah. from that time. If they were here now, they wouldn't understand anything. No, it'd just be a noisy, confusing, mad, shallow world. Because mm. my, my mother grew up in a house with, with no electricity, no running water. And you think, oh, right, no wonder she was always on at us about, you know, the things that we had. Yes. 
And turn that light out. And turn that light out. All right, we put that photograph in of your, it goes. your grandfather. In it goes. James Herbert. Lovely. All right, so we come to your final item. My final thing. Mm. Well, does it have to be something personal that you want to not remember again? Or can it just be something that drives you mad? Well, I mean, if it personally drives you mad, you know, but avoiding the Room 101 thing of, you know, uh, traffic cones, the thing that annoys everybody, this is something that is about you, that you look at yourself and think to yourself, oh, God, you know, I wish I didn't do that, or I wish I wasn't like that. Okay, then I've kind of got two things. Okay. The thing that is <laughs> that is more and more around me, which drives me mad, is shh, <laughs> strictly come dancing. <laughs> Stressed down our street. Even people on the news are going, it's, a, it's a, a very stressful situation. It's not stressful. It's not stressful. It's stressful. It's not strictly come dancing. It's strictly come dancing. And it's everywhere now. Wow, there speaks the voice of a man who has mastered his voice. <laughs> when you go to that sort of detail, that's very interesting that you should hear that and the rest of the nation doesn't. But it's everywhere. And, and I, I tell you, you will hear it everywhere. It's crept in. It's crept in this strict street. I'm going to listen for that. Listen for it. It's everywhere. It's absolutely <laughs> everywhere. It's some kind of weird, lazy stress in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's something that I wish was not so, mm -hmm. I wish was not part of my makeup, that I could discard like a coat or a pair of tartan trousers, um, it would be, <laughs> it would genuinely be my meanness. <laughs> it used to be a badge of pride, and now I've come to be ashamed of it. Um, there's a fabulous episode of Colditz where the wing commander decides to fake being mad. Yes. And they say to him, well, you know, it's very dangerous because it can go wrong. You can... It can come to a point. And, and, I, and, I, and I watched this as a kid and thought, oh, wow, no, no, no. Oh, he's gone mad. He's gone mad. It's too late. The door's closed. And it's happened to me with my meanness. I now can't, <laughs> I can't undo it. I can't not, I can't not look at the reduced section. I can't not <laughs> look at No, I'm not sure that is mean. I would call that frugal. Now, I mean, I, I know that, Famously, you are supposed to be mean, that you never buy a drink, apparently. This is not true. We have shared a house, and I know that's not true. Yeah, I will buy a drink, but it's, it's, the, it's the inability to let go of it, to not think of it. Even when I'm not paying, I've never been able to look down the left-hand side of the menu. <laughs> I've always looked down the right-hand side and gone, oh, that's, what's that? And then, and then looked left and seen and thought, oh, oh, it's fish. Um, okay, what, um, <laughs> it's cheap, but I don't really fancy the fish. And it, it, it didn't even come out of necessity because when I was a student, I just jumped with both feet into being tight and absolutely loved it. And you had a paper round. I had a paper round, but there was also a fruit God's and veg shop, the fruit and veg shop in Manchester. And I used to go and haunt it on the Saturday at half past five. <laughs> and the guy who ran it, he said, you're always here like a bad smell, just hanging around outside. All right, come on in. God, I hate this bit. What for what? What? I said, well, I said, they're going off. They're going off. <laughs> you won't sell them, but he said, no, Simon, no, no, you know, no, I'll be all right. The, the potatoes will be fine. What? I've got some tomatoes you can have. <laughs> well, all right. So originally, when you didn't have any money, you were what would be called tight. You looked after your money. You were careful with the pennies. But so you think that as time has gone on, you've become trapped in this personality. Yeah, I've become trapped, become trapped in this 
sort of penny pinching. Oh, I'm, oh, I don't know. Oh, I won't have it. I'm, I'm not for me. And now I'm thinking, oh, hang on, it's, it's, it's time is slipping away. Time is running out. Um, I'm not going to have the things now. I've, I've become too, too um, Silas Mana. I can't. I can't now undo it. Well, it's interesting. My father had a reputation of being tight, and he nurtured that reputation. He enjoyed it. Everybody saying, you know, oh, hello, he's opened his wallet. Watch out, there'll be moths coming out. <laughs> Chris blinking in the light. <laughs> he quite often yeah. would help it along by, I remember him, he put talcum powder in his wallet so that when he eventually had to buy a drink, he would take it out and would go... <sighs> And all this dust would come out. Well, I think that's, that's funny. A, that's a great yeah. joke. That's it's a brilliant joke. joke. <laughs> but he got caught in it, absolutely. Yeah. But when he died, a number of people came to his funeral. An old lady that had known him when he was a boy. And my father worked in London and we lived outside London. And every Monday night on his way back from work, he would stop at this old lady's house. And she said, oh, he never, Harry, he always, you know, if I needed something, he'd say, you all right for money? And he was always giving me stuff and he'd buy me food. And we went, really? 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 I mean, he could have been having an affair. But no, what he was doing was stopping at this old lady who was a friend of his mum's. And she was 90-odd. But she said all her life he'd given her bits of money. Secret secret entrepreneur, secret benefactor. Yeah. yeah, And there were a number of people there who said, oh, no, well, you know, he helped us buy our first house and things like that. Crikey. I know. I'm afraid those people aren't going to turn up for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's still hope for you. I was thinking of buying a place in France, so, you know. Right, right. well, let me know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but I've realised now that it's it has kind of impinged on other people's lives and, and my kids are like, oh, well, Dad won't do that. Dad, Dad we can't go again because Dad will have a fit if he sees the bill for that and stuff like that. Right. And, I mean, I will pay. It's just I will make a bit of a fuss and a bit of a, a, bit of a you know, how much does that cost? And and they often won't sort of show me stuff that they've got because I go, what? You bought it new? New? <laughs> you get that? I could have found you one second hand. I could have made you one. <laughs> and they now go, you know, oh, I, I didn't tell you I'd done this because I knew you'd go mad. I'm like, do I? Do I really? Mm. I probably do. I probably do. Uh, and yet you remember that fantastic restaurant we went to in Spain? Oh, Yeah. I still remember yeah. that. Yeah, the Michelin starred. Yeah, uh, one hundred thirty-seven euros twenty. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk about the food. <laughs> All right, I'll accept then that perhaps you are trapped. Yeah, and it's too late. It's gone. It's like no, you <laughs> fool. No, you've got plenty of time. You've got plenty of time left. Uh, I'll be round later. <laughs> Open the champagne. I'll make sure I'm out. <laughs> Simon, it's been lovely to talk to you on my time. Dancing. Oh, it's been fabulous. Thank you ever so much. It's been really good. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and the man I'm delighted to call a friend, Simon Greenwald. Right, before we go, here's all the technical information that you get at the end of a podcast. Actually, you can stop listening now if you want to, or you can just allow the theme tune to sweep you along. It was written by Past the Peas Music, and if you want to hear it without me talking all over it, you can download or stream it on Spotify. You just search My Time Capsule Theme. Mm, catchy. Please do subscribe to this podcast on the provider of your choice. And if you're given the opportunity, please rate us and maybe leave a stunning review.
You can follow me and my time capsule on most social media. Well, stuff I've heard of and know how to use, so that narrows it down a bit. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens, who manages to produce all these episodes whilst also writing music for lots of adverts and other podcasts, film scores and promotional videos, and writing and recording all the songs for the children's puppet show Monty and Co. So don't try and poach him, because he's like the Lionel Messi of the podcast world. I.e. he's willing to work for half his old wages. Right, I'm off to continue reading my latest book. It's called The Calypso Band. Do you know it? It's by Lydia Dustbin. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I'm falling apart. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.